and bombs and aeroplanes and occasionally we'd catch fish as well. <laughs> so I worked with my father catching mostly Dover soles. So people ask me now, what do you do now? I said, well, I work with my other father catching souls, just, just different souls. <laughs> so now I, I teach and I write uh, Bible studies and then I translate them into different languages, seven different languages at the moment. <coughs> and I upload them for free download everywhere in the world. And our target is India and Indonesia and the Philippines and China, where we're having a lot of success reaching and discipling uh, thousands of people uh, through that means. Um, our topic tonight is the rise of the Antichrist. Now, I've got a bit of reading, so I hope you don't mind me reading the scriptures. It's a value to be able to read the scriptures. In some countries, like Saudi Arabia, you cannot read the scriptures in public. You cannot meet as a Christian in public, so the only way to reach them is through the internet and for them to study these things in that way. Now, I have two assumptions of you before we start. The first assumption is that I hope you understand that God is outside of time and he has seen the end before the beginning. He knows exactly what is going to happen in the future from us. He knows the past, the present, and the future of every living thing on the planet. There is not a hair of your head that he doesn't know about. How few there are or how many there are, he knows them all. He knows every time you sit down, you stand up, etc., etc. So we understand that God knows everything and he knows the end even from the beginning. He, has, he is outside of time and he has seen the end. And secondly, he wants to communicate that to us. So my second assumption is that you believe the Bible because I love to teach the Bible. So I hope you like to understand the Bible. So those two assumptions... Uh, are uh, my upfront assumptions. So let me put a hypothetical situation in front of you. Now let's say we're sitting here, and uh, let's hope it doesn't happen, but let's, let's say that suddenly secret service men in dark glasses and armed with Uzi submachine guns and big guns all come in here and gather all the way around the room and then all of a sudden in walks the President of the United States. Oh, that'd be scary, right? <laughs> and the President comes up to me and he takes the microphone. He says, I know all of you. I know your students of prophecy, right? And you, Mr. Keith Thomas, you understand all this, right? And with fear and trepidation, we all say, well, okay, well, yeah. And he says, well... I, I had a dream last night and I want you prophecy buffs to tell me the answer to the dream. And oh no, we're, we're scared and we, we say, okay, President Trump, we'll do our best. And he says, well, 
That's not the only thing. I want you to tell me the dream first and then tell me the understanding. And we look at him and we say, well, that's impossible. How can I tell you your dream? But that is exactly what happened in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. And if you've got your Bibles, we'll look at that. And there's a bit of reading here. And, and I think we've got it on the PowerPoint here. We're going to read what that exact situation happened to the prophet Daniel. And uh, he, he told all of his uh, prophecy buffs to tell him the dream. Let's read it first of all. So uh, we're in Daniel 2, and I'm going to read to you from verse 27. Daniel answered the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he said to him, Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner, can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Hold on to that. Days to come, this is what will happen. God has shown you ahead of time what is about to happen. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream... And the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. Verse 29. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out. I like the sound of that. A rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. 
In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, and what we're seeing here, this statue is a timeline. So as, as, as it goes from the top down to the very feet, we are seeing a timeline over several centuries. So King Nebuchadnezzar was the top, and uh, he was the head of gold, which was 500 years B.C. So, you are the head of gold. Verse 39, after you another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes, notice the end of the timeline, there's feet and toes. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay, not very strong at all, and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes, verse 42, were partly iron and partly clay, now we're getting to the toes, the very end of the timeline. Remember where the rock hits. The rock doesn't hit in the chest, doesn't hit in the legs, it hits on the very toes of the end of this, this timeline, pictured as a statue. Just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay in the time of those kings. Notice that? What kings? You haven't said anything about kings. No, he's talking about the toes. The very ten toes will be ten kings, ten power blocks, ten regions that will be overseen by kings. He calls them kings, but we could say presidents or leaders. In the time of those kings, verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. We like that, right? <laughs> We're waiting for that kingdom to come. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those previous kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. Hey, hallelujah. We'll, we want that, Lord. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Let's stop there. Let's think about that. He talks about four different kingdoms and the very end part, the, the fourth kingdom, is the kingdom of Rome. And we are still in the timeline of that fourth kingdom 
in that uh, the, that Roman kingdom still rules the world. It influences the world. The nations of the Roman Empire still are those that really lead the world. Because when you think of it, the Roman Empire was co composed of the Spanish, the Irish, the British, the Germans, and the French. In, the, in this country, we have a conglomeration of all those nations. So we should not think, as some people do, that it's just the Roman Empire as it exists in, in, in Europe. No, uh, the European Empire has stretched and is, it's talking about people groups. And the people groups that are in this nation, as well as in Europe, really do lead the world. It's our financial empire that really rules the world. If we can go beyond the kingdom to see who, who really rules this world, we'll see that there are people that have been in power for centuries and they are the ones that's really in control. We're talking about elite families that rule the world by control of money, control of education, control of food, food is all being controlled and all of these things are all coming together to a level of control that we don't realize and really the power brokers are those that are unseen they just, uh, they just move the governments as a puppet and presidents and kings are just puppets for these people that have been ruling for centuries. Now some would say that this has already been fulfilled. They would say, well, the kingdom of God uh, already came. And to a sense, that's true, because the kingdom of God, the scriptures say, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is already here. But when you think of it, that really is not what it's talking about, because the end part of the vision talked about a rock that was cut not by human hands. And of course the rock is a type of the rock of Israel, the rock who is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes, the whole future, the whole present kingdoms will be broken and smashed to pieces. And that has not happened yet. I look at this world and we, ha we live in an evil world, so evil has not been conquered as yet. Now, in a sense it has. The beginning has already happened and it happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. But now there's the mopping up work to do as God is training his church over the last 1900 or so years to be conquerors. And the saints will be those that, uh, that are those that are in the, the kingdom and will rule from then on. So let's go a little bit further. So what have we got from that? We, we've got a timeline. We've got a rock, a picture of the Lord that, that breaks the kingdoms of this world and it happens on the ten feet uh, of, this, of the kingdom. Let's go to uh, another passage and read what it says there. It's uh, Daniel chapter 7, and I'm going to read from verse 7, where 
Daniel has his own dream this time. He doesn't have to interpret a king's dream. He has his own dream. And he really wants the answers for this dream because the Lord is showing him. And in verse 7, Daniel writes, After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. There's that fourth beast again. And he says that it's terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts. In other words, it conquered by different means. It conquered by means of mind control, control over food. As we've already said, levels of control, a spectrum of control really is going on in this world. So here he says that it will be different from the other four beasts. And it had ten horns. You notice that? Ten horns. Again, we see that number ten. Just as in the vision of the statue where the Lord Jesus came and hit the ten toes, here we have ten horns in this vision. And he says in verse 8, While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn. I want when you read about this other horn or a little one, it goes on to say, we're talking now about the Antichrist. And when this man comes, this is what we're talking about here. Another horn, a little one which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set. We're seeing something on the earth here. But now as we carry on reading, now the Lord has shown us something in heaven. So yes, there's, there's a viewpoint that we can have of just of what is going on on earth. But if only we could see like Daniel and see what's going on in heaven. And that's what we're going to read now. Verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, who is he? That's the Father himself. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000. Put yourself into that sentence. One day we will see this. You will be one of those ten thousands upon ten thousands standing before him. He goes on. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because, so the viewpoint now goes back to what's happening on earth. He says, then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn was speaking. I kept looking, we're talking again about the Antichrist now. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped, stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one 
like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven will that not be a wonderful sight when we see that brothers and sisters oh you will weep you will cry your emotions you'll be dancing for joy whenever that day comes it will be the most glorious day this world has ever seen and will ever see he says I I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language. I love that. I want to see men and women of every language, every tribe bow down before our king. Nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. This kingdom will not end, my brothers and sisters. This will be glorious for us, his church. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all of this. This perplexed him. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts, he says, are four kingdoms, just like the previous dream of Nebuchadnezzar, four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Hallelujah. Glory to our King. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know, then he, he hones in, well, I've got to know more about this fourth kingdom. And that's where we're going tonight. We, we want to understand what this kingdom that is uh, ahead for us, what will it be like? The Antichrist. What, he wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which we're now approaching the end of time, where those ten toes are and the coming of our king which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. Verse 20. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, the picture of the Antichrist, before which three of them fell the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Now, I don't like this next verse, but I'm committed to teaching exactly what it says. I don't try and skirt around. It's, it's always nice to t talk about the love of God, but sometimes there are things in Scripture that is like a warning to us and I must not uh, skirt around those things but tell you plainly. Uh, what is written, and then seek to do my best to exposit on it. Verse 21, as I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth. Notice that. This fourth kingdom will conquer the world. This will be a world kingdom under one man. But before that happens, there'll be ten regions, ten areas in the world that will hand over their power once they get ten nations. And at that point, our Lord will come. We are told that the whole earth, which didn't happen in 70 AD when uh, Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed, as some believe, that the kingdom already exists. No, in, in my humble opinion, yes, the kingdom of God lives within our hearts, but the full manifestation of the kingdom, as I look at it, out of this evil world that we is not yet here. We are still to see our kingdom, our king coming on the clouds of heaven and with the full manifestation of the kingdom of God. So I believe that we are in this particular phase of the plan of the evil one to try and conquer the whole earth. We are seeing, as we look out at this world, we are seeing a one-world government. Call it what you will. Many people call it the new world order that is under the sway of evil men that have managed to gain control all over the world. And part of it, and much of it, is being done through the banking system, through the control of money. So let me... Let me talk a little bit about that. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. Do you know that uh, the Federal Reserve is not federal? The Federal Reserve is uh, a banking system uh, that was set up in 1913 under Woodrow Wilson. And evil men managed to get Woodrow Wilson in power and then to create a private bank uh, where the shareholders of this private bank are secret. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a much that can be written about this. The Federal Reserve is as federal as Federal Express. In other words, it is not an arm of the government at all. The government goes to the Federal Reserve and says, we need your money. And the Federal, the Federal Reserve says, okay, we'll give you this much, but you've got to pay back this much. So it's all with interest. Uh, let, me, let me read to you a, uh, a, a, a video that I found that was actually from CNBC, the financial market channel. And uh, this is a video, and, and it, I shan't read it all, it, the, the questioner is talking to someone else and he says, do, do we all work for central bankers? Is this global governance at last? Is it one world with the central bankers in charge? To answer your question, we are absolutely slave to central banks. And then he goes on. Markets are driven by policy now. They're not driven by market forces. We have fiat currency. 
In other words, there's nothing backing it but the belief in this fiat currency. We have a fiat currency that's continually watered down so the markets go up and we feel good about it. We are basically beholden to central bankers. Federal Reserve is debasing currency and borrowing our way to false prosperity. Every central bank in the world has to devalue their currency. And we are seeing the worldwide move of this banking system and they still just have a few countries where this banking system does not rule over them. And uh, we shan't go there. Amschel Rothschild, the famous financier, once said this, Give me control of a nation's money supply and I care not who makes its laws. Ha, huh. isn't that interesting? I don't care what kind of government you got, but you give me control of your money system and I don't care who makes the laws because I can control everything. That was his plan many, many years ago. Sir Josiah Charles Stamp was a British baron who was born in the late 1800s. He was an economist and was president of the Bank of England in the early 1900s. And at that time was the second richest man in England. He was quoted as saying, Banking was conceived in iniquity and born in sin. Bankers own the earth. Take it away from them, but leave them the power to create money and with the flick of a pen, they will create enough money to buy it back again. <laughs> Take this great power away from them and all great fortunes like mine will disappear and they ought to disappear. For then this, this would be a better and a happier world to live in. But if you want to continue to be the slave of the bankers and pay the cost of your own slavery, then let the bankers continue to create money and control credit. And that is exactly what happens every day. Lewis McFadden. Let's have another quote. Chairman of the House Committee on Banking and Currency on May the 23rd, 1933, made this statement, and I quote, Every effort has been made by the Federal Reserve Board to conceal its powers. But the truth is that the Federal Reserve System has usurped the government. It controls everything in Congress and it controls all our foreign relations. It makes and breaks governments at will. And then there's that President Woodrow Wilson that we mentioned earlier. He was the one that signed away America's right to print its own money in 1913 to private banking concerns from Europe. Afterwards, in his diary, he said these words, I have unwittingly ruined my country. A great industrial nation is controlled by a system of credit. Our system of credit is concentrated in the hands of a few men. We have come to be one of the worst ruled, one of the most completely controlled, and dominated governments in the world. No longer a government of free opinion, no longer a government by conviction and vote of the majority, 
but a government by the opinion and duress of small groups of domineering people. Woodrow Wilson. One more quote. David Rockefeller, the powerful uh, banker, financier, etc. In his book, Memoirs, written 2002, he writes this. For more than a century, ideological extremists at either end of the political spectrum have seized upon well-publicized incidents to attack the Rockefeller family for the inordinate influence they claim we wield over American political and economic institutions. Some even believe, listen to this, talk about coming straight out of his mouth, some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty, he said. <laughs> and I am proud of it. David Rockefeller, Memoirs, 2002, page 406. We are already set up for a financial thing. So now let's go to our third passage that I want to read from the scripture. Having given us a kind of an understanding, let's read what the scriptures say now in the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Verse 1, the beast of the book of Revelation we're talking about now. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns. Isn't that interesting? That number again cropping up here this time in the book of Revelation. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. And on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. In other words, this person had manifestations of each of those other kingdoms all in one. So this fourth individual, this antichrist, this little horn, this individual that will gain power over the whole world... He'll have aspects of his character that's similar to these others. He'll have the speed of being able to conquer like uh, Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world in three and a half years. He'll have the power, the bear symbolized the Medo-Persian Empire with its ferocity, long claws. It had great power, uh, as in the Persian kingdom. And the third one... Uh, like a mouth like that of a lion. In other words, he will be able to sway people with his lips. His mouth was that of a lion, like Nebuchadnezzar. So this man, when he will come to power, he'll be able to sway whole kingdoms of people just by the words that come out of his mouth. A little bit like Hitler. 
If you've ever seen the speeches of Adolf Hitler, he was charismatic, but in an evil sense. He, he was demonized. And if you've ever watched any of his speeches, he is speaking with such passion and conviction. He, you can see he is being led by a demonic force. And he is on his toes and he's speaking very passionately. So Adolf Hitler has got nothing on this guy when he comes to power. And how long yet before this man comes on the scene, we, we don't know. So... It says in verse 3, and I noticed this, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The result of that, look what happens. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. What on earth does that mean? Are we talking about an assassination where this man seems to be killed in the assassination but then here's what I think then I think technologically he is brought back because the response is the world is astonished that he's still alive and he's still able to wield his influence I have my thoughts on that and uh, hopefully I'll get to share them uh, in a bit the dragon gave the beast his power, I notice. In other words, he's satanically inspired. The dragon is a picture of Satan. And verse 4 says that men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And satanic worship will be open and flaunted uh, in the world that is to come, this new world order that is being built about us. And they also worship the beast. And of course, we ourselves as saints, we will not worship the beast. We will not go along with this empire. We will not uh, follow this man when he comes to power. Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Isn't that interesting? Let's think about that. In other words, this man will have the resources behind him and the technological uh, power through armies, through, through missiles, through planes, through every form of warfare. Nobody, no country will be able to stand up to this guy. By this time, he has conquered the world. And if there are any upstart nations that won't go along, they will acknowledge, we can't make war, we can't do anything against this man when he comes forward because his technology, the power that he has at his disposal will be too great. Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for how many months? 42. How, how long is 42. Remember that we are talking about Israeli uh, days and months. And Israel goes by a lunar calendar, which is 30 days to a month. And here it says 42 months. So we are talking literally about three and a half years. So this man, when he gains this dominance, he is able to rule for three and a half years. 
1,260 days or 42 months we'll see 1,260 days which again is on based on the Hebrew system the lunar calendar making three and a half years so he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name verse 6 we're at now and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven so this man when he comes to power on the news every opportunity he will be blaspheming God the one that we love the one that we serve